let's get started. This week's Jammer in the Rough, number six. We're going smooth. Like, we're building on the momentum from Gavin last week. So, if you haven't checked that out, go to our Spotify, Google, Apple Music, YouTube. First, like and subscribe, but check out our Ask Me Anything with Gavin. But right now, this is our weekly kind of introduction, right? Jammers in the Rough. We have Cody, the absolute worst Waldron. We got Josh, it looks like winter. We got Mr. Iron Samurai himself, Chase Uselman, and your main host, the hostess with the mostest, Paige. You don't want to say your name, Paige. I don't ship on time. Like, like it's just a big, <laughs> nice name for you. Yeah. Uh, you can't Josh give yourself a nickname, but as long as I'm doing name. intros, I can't give myself the nickname. So it's simple. I am Paige. You're a humble host for Gemmers in the Rough. You're lowly admin that oh acts God. as your whipping boy. I mean, that's just who I am, right? So with that, Chase, do you want to give us a two-minute introduction of who you are and what the hell you're doing here? Uh, well, I mean, like you said, I'm, I'm Chase Uzelman, and I, I'm Mr. Iron Samurai himself. Uh, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk about uh, just – collecting and and this collection and that's about it nine yeah, so minutes that's i mean that's our Four topic eight. this week it's collecting and everything about collecting whether it's dust or plastic we're here to dive in and we brought one of like my favorite collectors um chase the iron samurai himself um who spent it seems like forever amassing this amazing collection so why don't we just start there like what is that behind your head well, so this is the entire collection of Iron Samurai ones. Uh, it is every foil that's ever been made, including the um, the triple foil stamp that was stamped by Eagle McMahon himself. Um, it's been a long time coming, like you said, and I put a lot into it. So, but yeah, that, that's what this is. 20, 25 is that what i'm counting 25 foils 25 total? yeah and so the original is 24 right and then eagle stamped one himself uh after the fact uh i think that was about six months ago or so and uh so that that's after the fact i wouldn't even really count that in the original lineup um but i have it just because you have to yeah, I, I think what makes your collection like really special is that they're all pretty much 10 out of 10 never been thrown all uh, none of them have been thrown yep. right so Except for the, there the, is somebody the out right. there who has another collection of 24 um but you know some of them have been thrown this mm -hmm. these are all collector kept yeah is the only one that's a one for one the one in the middle or correct yeah okay now, granted, the jelly bean is very rare, and so is the matte teal. Um, but the only one out of one is the trifoil in the center. I mean, so, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful collection to, to look at. Um, if you're just listening, you can jump over on YouTube and watch this and be able to see all these beautiful discs. This is a, an amazing collection. And I, I, saw I, them, I, I can get out of the way for a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Do yeah, you want to grab your camera and do a little quick pan? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. 
but it looks so clean like i thought it was like a, a green screen background like i thought wow there it is guys people who are listening right now he's painting back and forth showing every foil i don't know if you got to see all of them but okay but seeing that like one of one stamped by Eagle, it almost looks like that kind of shimmer, like darker gray compared to yeah, so like the normal glow. I, I, I want to say it was probably so it is an IS one, but I want to say it was an XL. Um, that was not uh, something that they could sell in the original run. I'm, I'm sure that's why he did that one. Um, from what I understand, that was an XL IS one that he he stamped after the fact. Well, that's what I was wondering about. Like, you can see this is Iron Summer one, but this is gray. There's silver shimmer. Um, There's like a very small batch. So I know Manny Trujillo came on our show and he showed off like five of the gray silver ones. And I wonder if that's kind of what that was of that kind of bleed from silver to the kind of normal glow. Because this is a, well, this is just a white disc next to it. And you can see like the contrast. But so I wasn't sure like it might be one of these. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, and I know there was a April Fool's prank that went a little viral last year among the community that <laughs> I think you fooled a lot of people, myself included, into thinking you threw it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it took some doing, you know, I, I had to get a couple different people involved, one person to video. And then I had to have my buddy Will, um, who also helped me out with this collection a little bit. I'll I'll have to introduce you to him here in a little bit. Just he's in the other room here helping me out with my smoker that I just bought. Um, but uh, had to have him kind of toss me the disc so that we could do that change seamlessly. That's a lot of trust tossing that disc to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, never well, I been hand, thrown? I handed him that disc, mm -hmm. um, and he tossed me the Iron Samurai 2. Got it. So, Got yeah. It. That's going to be the new verbiage on the community. Never been tossed disc for sale. Never been tossed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I had uh, both of the guys wear gloves while doing that, um, just so that we didn't have any fingerprints on any of the, the discs. So. See, that's a collector right there. Yeah. They can help yeah. you wear gloves. That took a yeah. background check. Yeah, the full yeah. the whole night. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, moving on, um, what got you into disc golf? So funny enough, I was an ultimate player. Um, and I've had a lot of injuries, including my back. Uh, and so it's one of those where I was getting older. Uh, let's be real, none of us are getting any younger none of our bodies are, are getting in better shape for the most part. Um, and so I was like, all right, yeah, I went from football to ultimate. And then I'm like, well, disc golf is somewhat similar to ultimate and kind of, but not really. I mean, I, and I think we're seeing that a little bit. I'm not going to mention from who, but it, it's a lot different throwing a disc golf disc, you know? Um, so I hit up one of my ultimate buddies and I was like, Hey, I want to go play disc golf. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And I went and played one of 
the harder courses in the area. Um, Spring Valley, if you want to look it up, it's it, it's a pretty tough course. Um, and we played the finesse course. Uh, actually, 2017 Texas States was held there. Um, and so that way you can kind of really see how tough this course really is. And that was my first round ever. And it was awful. <laughs> and I don't know why I played again, but, uh, but I did, I was hooked. Um, and of course, as a newbie, I knew nothing about disc golf. So my first disc was a destroyer, which is terrible for a new player. Uh, and it just constantly hooked left because I didn't have the arm speed. Yeah. But you think you're doing great when you're doing it, though. You're like, oh, yeah. Forward. Yes. <laughs> I guess all disc turn. It makes sense the way I'm yeah. throwing it. Yeah. And then I had somebody tell me, hey, uh, play with only putters and mids. And I was like, okay, I I'm going to try that. I think you're crazy, but I'll try it. And I got more distance because it flew straighter uh than i was with the destroyer and i was like all right i think he's on to something yeah <laughs> no i think it's crazy like how many people are kind of just falling into the sport i mean i had my window installer come today to kind of do a walkthrough and while we're in my like where i'm at now he was like dang you got a lot of discs and he kind of everywhere he looked he's like this 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 and he's like where do i start my friends are playing and it's awkward for me to get in and ask them but where do i start and so i'm like Hey, come over here real quick. And I have a stack of discs that, you know, I'm just not doing anything with. And so I flip through it. I grab him the first like Arctic Fang that I find. I grab him, you know, an origin. I grab him a dark rebel and an essence. And I told him, I was like, here, this is where you should start. They're a little bit understable, but with a little bit lower arm speed, they're going to want to go left if you're right hand, backhand, and hyzer. And when they start stop doing that and they start to go straight to right, then you might switch discs. And so then I dragged him outside. I grabbed a couple putters. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. And I just kind of gave him a quick lesson of angles and what like discs are going to do on different stabilities. But I told him, I was like, these discs are going to be good for you to begin with. I wouldn't try anyone else. Um, but take them. They're yours. And he's like, no, no, I have to pay you. I'm like, no, like, they're sitting on a stack. Like, just take them. You want to play. Like, I don't want you to worry about money. Like, they're not doing so. I gave him, like, this kind of starter set, which, I mean, if anyone ever, ever hear me talk, like, I'm excited about the Dark Rebel because I think that's the disc. Kind of like FDs, I would always tell people, you want to throw FD, you want to throw FD, but price is getting gouged a little bit. I mean, it's hard to send people to FD, so it's like, here's a Dark Rebel. And so I was excited, but yeah, people are like randomly stumbling on it and wanting to play it, and they're seeing so much more exposure to it. And it's not just like where you, I think, have a very common, like, oh, I went from, you know, ultimate to disc golf or, you know, even better yet, I went from being a competitor and wanted to continue to compete and I found disc golf and that's kind of my journey. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just interesting to see where, where everybody's kind of coming from. I think that's one of the coolest things about our sport is it seems like most people that play, if they have somebody that comes up and asks them like, hey, what is this? Usually you have no problem saying like, oh, this is this. Uh, you want to throw it this way, you want it to go straight uh and then you know you want to start and most people that know how to play are always like hey start mids and putters so it's really cool about our sport like i feel like i don't see that in baseball or soccer or other things people aren't like hey here's a glove go have fun normally it's like hey here's a couple of discs that work for me enjoy it have fun go to the local park and throw 
Well, like like just that example too, right? You give them a glove, you give them a baseball or a bat. That's not really like teaching them to play baseball because you're like, well, how do I find all these other players who experience this game with? You give somebody a disc, whether it's a kid or an adult, they'll have fun throwing it just because it's like a rock, right? Like they want to throw something and then they build that game around it. And when you explain the depth of it and behind the scenes, like, like I think ultimately the hardest thing, like I think Mark Sendefer, one of our, our founding fathers of the lounge would talk about with ultimate is like trying to organize 11 people to come and meet up was so taxing and so tiring that, you know, it almost becomes just more of a chore than that, that respite, that enjoyment that was coming from. And so the ability to be like by yourself or calling one person to come play around to this call becomes a lot easier and that accessibility is there. So also, I don't know about y'all, but do y'all keep some like older discs or anything like in your bag to give out to people on the course? Keep like, them in my trunk. Dude, yeah, oh no, I have them in my bag. Like, well, of course I have like the pound, you know, octohall. So I have some room, right? And I always want to have like a logic and origin because I feel like both of those are great starter discs. Um, and, and I mean, you can continue to use them even after you get better as well. So I, I love both those discs. I throw both of those discs. So I'm like, all right, it's a great starter disc, but I can still throw it. That means pretty much anybody can throw it. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say I keep anything in my bag, but anything of my bag has been kind of claimed by people, whether it's other disc golfers or like kids running up. I remember when I tried to bag the tactics, I was carrying three in my bag just to try to get those repetitions in the field and was not liking them at all. And so then there was like two, you know, six, seven-year-old kids coming up, their brothers. And I was just like, here, take these. And then they were doing, so like, I always have like a disc on hand that I'm trying and a lot of, more often than not, I'm not enjoying it. So those are always the discs of being like, oh, yeah, take this and try this out. Or, you know, there's a few discs in my bag that I don't mind ever, like, losing. So I was like, oh, I'll just give it to, you know, somebody if they ask. Um, I mean, I think about – it has to be about a year ago now. Like, last April, I went down to uh, Santa Cruz and played De La Viega and met up with a couple loungers. And we did the in-the-bag trade. We went live and – they got dibs of anything in my bag. I got dibs of anything in their bags. We did this kind of big old three-person trade. And so it's like, for me, it's like, I try not to get attached to these things because we also have a golf course like Trojan, which is all over water. The resistance open was there last year. So it's like, I expect to lose my discs. So I don't <laughs> mind ever giving them away. <laughs> you also lost, what was it? Three discs in one round? It was like $800, like five, six discs. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I'm still bagging them, and like the disc I lost was a replacement for a disc I just aced on that same course. So that's that's for me. Like, if I'm not willing to commit to the disc over Trojan water, then it shouldn't be my bag because I'm not going to be able to commit to the shots that I need to commit to them when it comes time for those. You know, oh, 300 foot, but you got to throw it 290 and stop on a dime, otherwise it's off a cliff, or you know, those type of like commitment shots that people don't think about. So if I can't commit to it at Trojan, it doesn't make my bag. That's a that's a good way of going about it. It's scary, and like I'm glad I don't live near there, so I don't play it every day. Uh, because it, it's it's hard. I lose. I have like Dexter State Park in, in uh, Eugene, uh, Oregon near Eugene. I've lost so many of my collectors because I I started my collection collecting mostly everything I throw and then some others, um, pretty discs I liked. Uh, but it got to a point where 
I wasn't bagging the pretty ones that I like, I'll come in and look at them. Uh, and I changed a while back where my disc is just full of some gems and I love throwing them because it, it almost gives you like a little bit more confidence when you pull out like a triple stamp disc that you haven't seen before and then you throw it into the lake and you cry inside a little bit. Well, that's what I say about like the hook die discs. It's like, you know, not only do like die discs fly better, but it's that, that little bit of excitement, like, oh, I'm going to pull this out and look at this badass die. Look at this, you know, and then you want to throw it good because you not only do you want it to look beautiful, you don't want to be in throw, embarrassed throwing such a beautiful disc, but you want to land on the fairway, right? Nobody wants to lose a die disc off the fairway. And so that makes you just commit just a little bit more, put a little bit more power behind it and... Then you start to land in these amazing spots and die discs start to fly better. <laughs> and I'm on the opposite end of that where I'm too scared to throw a nice disc. I want that. <laughs> I'm too scared to throw a new disc, honestly. So I want them jammers, baby. So you just feel better about losing them because they're like already thrown? I'm surprisingly, uh, we don't have a lot of water hazards around here. I have lost, there's only one course with water around here and I have lost two discs to it. Uh, one was a Zoe Sphinx, so that kind of hurt but uh, most of it's woods around here and I'll spend a couple minutes looking for it. But you know, most, I only bag stock runs. So I look at the pretty ones. I throw the beaters. See, I'm kind of with Paige and, and Josh on this one. And it's mainly just cause like for me, if I have a disc that it, a lot of people have it, right. It's their water disc. And guess what? You never throw that disc. And so you're not used to throwing that disc. So when you go to that water hole and you're like, I really should be throwing this MD3. And you're like, well, I'm not going to throw this MD3. I'm going to throw this brand new MD3 that is not beaten. So it's not going to fly the same way. And, and then you throw it and you end up in the water. Yeah. It is usually how it happens. I mean, yeah. I don't want to throw this because this is going to happen. And then it does yeah. happen. And then it happens. <laughs> yeah. That's... Makes I mean, sense. Paul Macbeth most like famously said, like before he puts a putter in his bag, he has a thousand putts on him. And I think about like that same thought about like with the, all the slots in my bag, like how many throws do I have in a disc before I'm fully confident in it? And when you take that away, like over water, over blackberry bushes, having to land in fairways, having to dodge things like, I think those repetitions and that comfortability and familiarity is going to be like winning over the water. You know, a lot of the times, like I was playing around with a buddy last week and I pulled out my second run CD two. And I was like, this is my safety blanket of a disc. If I'm throwing wrong, if I'm throwing bad, if I'm just can't get off the tee, I reach for this disc and I know exactly the feel, the touch, the rim, the shape, and I need to throw it, the power ratio. And it just kind of soothes me in that, that, like that safety blanket. And I get me back on track. So like in tournaments, having that safety blanket of a disc where it's like, I know I probably should throw my night strike one, but let me like throw my safety blanket of a CD two. And if I overthrow, I overthrow it, but I'm going to not worry about hitting these trees anymore. I'm just going to throw what I know how to throw and being able to kind of fall into that, like a little mantra, I think is important. I think when we start to talk, water, blackberry bushes, ferns, all of these things that eat discs, being able to have that comfort sometimes, even if it might not be the best disc for the hole, but that, that comfortability I think is going to carry you through more often than not. 
that I think that confidence can be totally different for every person Absolutely. because whatever you're comfortable with. And we, I think we even did a, one of our podcasts was on that. It was like, what disc do you reach for if you're having an off day? And so for each person, it will probably be something different. Page CD2, Josh, probably, uh, I'm going to guess something CD2. thought. Second, no. Okay. I'm going to say <laughs> Josh, like some thought here. space. Mine's like my Barella Clo T-Bird 3. Because I know, like, I know where it's going to go. It might not be the best shot for that hole, but I know, hey, this T-Bird is going to go where I know. And I know it well, so confidence. Do you have a guess for mine? Uh, <laughs> I mean, one of our questions Christian was going to be, what's your favorite <laughs> run? But I don't think we need to ask that question. I will say my Night Strike 3 is one of my go-tos as well for, like, a fairway driver. Which is, I think, is a slap-on run. I think a lot of people overestimate the dome, but that late flip on it it's with the late stability on the Night Strike 3s are amazing yeah. that are completely slept on. But, why, sorry, yeah, why did that get it. so much hate? Because it know, came out man. domey. Like, people wanted a flat-ish, like, Night Strike 1, Night Strike 2, and the 3 came out with Super Dome, but they never gave it a chance. And I think it was, like, to be honest, uh, fit perfectly with the 1, 2, and 3, I think. Iron Samurai 3 coming out fits perfectly with the 1 and 2. I've thrown the Iron Samurai 3 at this point and <gasps> can confidently say, like, it's an MD 3.5. And to where you had the Iron Samurai 2, which was a little bit flippier, Iron Samurai 1, which was a little bit neutral to stable, and then now the Iron Samurai 3, which is a little bit more overstable, you complete the series and the gap. And I think when you look at the Night Strike series, you have the 1 understable, the 2 overstable, and the 3 right in between that. and when we're looking at three disc series, it's like, okay, how do I bag these three discs out? How can I justify it? They took that worry out and complemented each other with their flights, whether it was intentional or unintentional. But this Iron Time Ride 3 completing this kind of trifecta of discs, I think is is going to knock out, like knock a lot of people out. But there, I think there's also going to be those people that are like, oh, it's too overstable and it's a little less glidey. And it's like, yeah, that's what I need in MD, like MD 3.5 because I want to keep throwing my claw and now I need something that can fight a little bit more headwind, that can dump, that's not going to be super glidey, that I'm not going to overthrow, that 280 becomes easy. I don't need to power down on my claw. Like, oh, these are all important discs. And I think, I mean, a lot of people should be excited for it. But quite more often than what we see is kind of like that Night Strike 3 where there's going to be like a lot of hate. <laughs> so, Paige, have you compared the Iron Samurai 3 to like a new claw or new Iron Samurai 1 or Iron Samurai 2? Yep. Okay. And you find it to be more overstable? More overstable. Than... Like I said, it's MD3.5. Like even my claw, which is a little bit more overstable of uh, MD3 run, um, was still like straight compared to it. It's one of those things, like, like I said, like if you take a MD4 and you're like, oh, this flies amazing, then you beat it in a little bit and you're like, oh, this is no longer MD4. That's going to be the, the Iron Samurai 3. And I get excited because it starts off a little overstable. And if you can beat it in, I'm yeah. sure the plastic is going to beat in nicely and kind of settle in to be somewhere similar to like a more traditional like MD3 flight. But with it starting a little bit more overstable, it's it's going to hold hold true and be exactly what you need it for. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but the blues on the Iron Samurai 3 have the most dome. Out of yeah. Um, which I found to be a bit more overstable. The pinks are, pinks are nice, but they, they still they still fade out. I don't know if you can see that. Everyone's got them, but yeah, yeah. It's 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 weird that um, it 
that this, there's such a slight difference between the pinks and the blues. Yeah. But there is a very noticeable difference in how they fly. Um, how, do, how they feel. Does it feel like traditional color glow? Or? It's stiffer. It feels closer to like their old sea line. Yes. Um, but a little bit stiffer. I was surprised that like that because like you know you grab a, a color glow FD and you're like oh this is a little bit gummy and the heat this is amazing. I was surprised at the stiffness of the Iron Samurai Three um, compared to like you know some. But that also kind of like I said like before like I'm kind of curious to see what it's going to beat in. I said this was the Cloudbreaker Three about this plastic could beat in to be absolutely amazing. Or if it's like traditional sea line and it just holds that stiffness, it's going to be, you know, a while till it beats in. <laughs> but yeah. it's definitely stiff. I mean, I kind of like that it's more like the sea line though. Because, I mean, I throw a lot of sea line stuff and it, it's not any different, right? Like the feel is the same whether it's glow or not. So when I put like my glow bag together, it feels so similar to what I'm usually throwing. So Chase, I guess that can bring us to our next question because you're sitting there holding uh, a Glow MD3. What actually got you into collecting? Like, what got you into it? And to add to that question, were you a collector of any kind of thing beforehand? Um, Gum. I'm trying to think if I collected anything beforehand. And Pokemon I cards? I think I did. <laughs> um so i guess i do have somewhat of a, an addictive personality and i kind of just go all in um so you know before this it was brewing beer right and instead of starting off small i decided to go get the grandfather which is you know a, a way it's a device to brew beer and everything and it does everything that you would need and it's you know, top of the line type deal for homebrew. Um, and did I need that? No. Should I have bought that? No. Did I buy it? Yeah. But did you enjoy it? I guess it? that's, what was that? Did you enjoy having it? I okay. did. I did. No, granted, I think I only brewed like four beers. They were probably good though. Yeah. And, and, and now it's, it, it's sitting in storage collecting dust so yeah um you know and and i guess i i kind of do that with discs too where i just i can't get rid of them you know so like i'll buy a disc as backups right so like that's kind of how it started i guess is i liked a certain run and i was like oh man i really like this disc i need like 10 backups right and so i'd buy all those backups and then i'm like oh they came out with a new version of this. I need that disc. And then I bought 10 backups of that. And then pretty soon it was just kind of like, well, do I really need those backups? No. Should I sell them? Probably. Am I going to sell them? Probably not. <laughs> well, I think you touched on like a, like kind of how I got into it as well in regards to like, I kind of just, like I always say, like I collect what I throw and I throw what I collect and I kind of stumbled upon like really enjoying a lot of these discs. But when I was playing, there were $20, $30. I can go into this depot or a local store and there'll be a box of cloud breakers sitting there that been sitting there for months. Loan house were like, you couldn't give them away at the time. And, you wow. know, so I, like I would fall in love with these things and I would have like the five or 10 backups that I would need. But I also 
wouldn't be worried. And then all of a sudden I had all these discs and overnight my $20 loan how became a hundred dollars. My claw and I my Mayan Samurai went from like $30 for me saying no all the time. Like, Oh, that's too much. I don't want to pay $25 for a used disc. Like, do you have a new one for me saying like no to those two? Like now they're a hundred dollars, $150 discs. And just like overnight it became a collector. And all of a sudden, like, like how did you, like, how can I justifiably sit on these discs? And because I'm also one of those people, like if I'm not actively throwing them, I want to get them in hands that are going to appreciate them. That's always how I approach things. And so the, the amount of times I went from like Iron Samurai Claw, Iron Samurai Claw, it would always be like, you know, oh, 10 Iron Samurai, I'm off of them. Let me get back onto Claws. Let me get rid of my Iron Samurai. And it was always these waves until it became a lot harder <laughs> to like maintain those waves because like now we're dealing with like instead of like what, 10 times 30 is $300. Now you have 10 times a hundred, which is a thousand dollars and you're navigating these thousand dollar clunks, but you're finding these collectors now that are true collectors in these like little niches that only want the new ones. And they're just like, well, I'm just trying to get rid of my jammers to find, you know, new homes so that I can continue to like throw what I want to do. Cause it's like, I don't want to sit on 10 iron samurais if I'm throwing 10 claws. Um, anyways, but yeah, so I think that's always interesting about how that kind of stumbled and found, but it's, I mean, this it's a whole different market now. It's a whole different world. And I think people like noticing that it is a viable thing to collect and you have people, I mean, like such yourself, right? You, you said you started off like with a certain intent and now you have 25 of the most desirable discs behind you of a complete set. Like, how did you, how did you make that transition to that? So it started off pretty simple. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I bought... Uh, I mean, some of the more basic ones, like the, the black and the white, right? Like those are pretty easy to come by. And then it was, you know, I got some of the greens and the reds and uh, I, I think I had like two or three blues at the time. And I was like, man, I, I, I have a decent amount of these. I wonder how many other colors there are. I'm going to try to collect all the different colors. And I, I don't know why I chose this exact disc but i guess it was just because i that was in my bag at the time and i that was one of my favorite discs um and so i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna try to collect them all and pretty soon i found out that i was only about halfway to collecting all 24. i had like 12 colors out of 24 and i thought i was close <laughs> and uh and then come to find out i was not and I was like, man, what did I get myself into here? And so then I was like, all right, well, let's see if I can find the other ones. And at this point, they were rising in price uh, quite a bit. And I was like, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm already this far. I've already spent some on, you know, the, the purple and pink and uh, the yellow that are a little bit harder to come by. The uh, flawless and the ghost stamp, like those are harder to come by. To where I, would, I, I had already gotten those, and I was like, all right, you know what? What's what's this much more? You know, um, and so that's really kind of how it all happened, I guess. And um, like, kind of to touch on how you said you started, I, I've noticed a lot about disc golfers usually fall into two camps. One is that minimalist. I only want ten disc. What I throw, I don't want to spend any. And then you have probably all of us in this podcast right now where it's, we started out with a couple 
And then that couple grew to more. Like I remember when I first started playing, I had like 10 discs and it was in a UPS medium priority box. And I was like, wow, I almost got a box full. And then I got more and I was like, well, now I need a second box. And then my wife was like, did you get more disc? And now I have a garage full where I'm asking Josh how to build um, his shelf so I can put them somewhere. So many people I feel like fall into one of, I don't feel like there's that middle. It's either you have just a couple of discs that you throw, or I have so many discs that I don't want to get rid of, but I want to get more. That's and I feel like about- I have to tell myself all the time, Cody, don't buy any more disc. And then 10 minutes later, PayPal or Venmo. All right. <laughs> well, I want to talk about, like, I think that's, I mean, really good summary, but I think it becomes like self-sustainable at a point to where it's like, I'm almost not like selling disc as much as I am trading discs and finding those people that are just like, okay, you want to try like say these 2017 Thunderbirds that I'm sitting on. Cool. Well, I'm looking for, you know, sorely run PDs and being able to kind of switch and facilitate that, that it becomes almost like, and that's what I like about this, the, the disc golf lounge is that, or the community disc golf lounge is that we're trying to trade first before making money off of these things because then like everyone's kind of getting a taste of like the pie. And I think that's where it becomes like almost stable. And even if like you're not trading and you're selling, then that you're dealing, like I said, like you're dealing with that thousand dollar mark. I just sold 10 discs, made a thousand dollars. Now let me reinvest a thousand dollars into these things and try these new things. I had a buddy reach out to me where he had a really valuable disc and he's like, somebody offered me $2,500 for this disc. And I was like, Oh, that's sweet. Like, are you going to take it? He's like, I'm not sure. And I was like, well, let's look at it like this way. I was like, you're going to spend $2,500 or you're going to sell a disc for $2,500, which is huge. But knowing you, you're going to reinvest that $2,500 back in the disc golf community and buying discs. Now do you think you're going to have with that $2,500 spent cool disc that matches that one? And he was like, absolutely not. I'm going to keep this disc. Like, you know, because it becomes like that, like it becomes a sustainable little section of like, oh yeah, it's just going to be like reinvested in this. I'm going to get 10, like, you know, 10 different discs that look cool, but they're not that one that kind of chase disc and so he decided to keep it but it's like oh yeah like this kind of whole this maelstrom of like either you just want what you throw to a minimalistic of i'm only going to throw stock run buzzes i'm only going to throw stock run leopards and then you transcend that to an extent and being like okay like well nothing flies like a night strike one so i guess i'm gonna have a night strike one in my bag for all eternity you know and you know, there has to be, I feel like middle ground, but I don't think there is quite yet. <laughs> I've never seen it. Yeah. Feast I, or famine disc golf family. That's what it's. And I feel like I'm the only person that's never like even seen a night strike one in person. What? Everyone talks about it. I'm like, I've never even looked at one in person. He's a trilogy I've, head. Like, no. <laughs> I'm a mixed bagger, but I've just like never even tried one. That's crazy to hear. But I, I feel like everyone, like a large portion of disc golf collectors and throwers have this irrational fear that having five backups isn't enough. And somehow you're going to lose every single one and then you're left with nothing and you get scared. And so you buy some more and now you have a, a ton of the same exact disc, which is cool because you got enough to last you a while. But is I don't it's not really necessary and I could tell myself that all day long in the mirror I'm still going to make sure I have my 10 backups though absolutely well and then I panic by like I have 10 backups I lose one and the logical thing could be like okay this is why I have 10 I now have I now have nine this is why you do it I lose one I'm like I'm at nine I have to buy 10 more (laughs) like I panic by so much it's stupid 
But I also want to get to like maybe a deeper like core part of like this kind of collector thing too is the relationships. I talk about all the time about like the relationships that developed through trading where it transcends the disc to where it's like, it's almost like, you know, sometimes like I've been working from home COVID for three years. So it's kind of me, the missus and baby in our, in our household kind of quarantined from the world. My escape is disc golf. You know, I get to, and I'm not a COVID golfer. I was disc golfing before COVID. Let me just draw that line here. Um, but like the socializing that comes with trading is sometimes like a good outlet. I'm not taking 15 minute walks with three or four of my coworkers during work. I'm not grabbing lunch with my coworkers. I'm not socializing like I was before COVID. And so the ability to kind of build relationships based off of like this mutual ground of plastic, I think has been huge. And I have some like really close friends where, Oh, Hey, like I'm driving down to Vegas for the Las Vegas challenge and I'm going to stop two places on the way and see a total of about eight or nine like friends that I met in this disc golf community that I talk to almost every single day. Like those relationships to me have transcended, you know, now this collector game because it becomes more of like, Oh, we have this mutual understanding and this talking and we can continue. Like, I mean, shoot, we started a podcast because I met all of you guys via <laughs> disc golf, right? Like in the, the community. So I think it's just, I mean, for me, it became more about relationships and building those relationships and the vice and the median just be being discs. Definitely. That's what got me into collecting is like, I, I was looking for a disc. I, I really want to try a night strike one because I was an FD thrower and I was just getting like into disc golf seriously. And my brother-in-law said, you should try night strike, night strike one. So I'm searching for it. And I didn't know about Facebook groups at this point. And so I went on eBay and I picked one up for way more than I should have way more than I should have. I found out during that time. Um, and then I just, I want another one and like, well, have you tried the Facebook groups? And then, you know, the rest of my life has been written from there. Um, I started collecting P2s. That's how I, uh, that's how I met Chad. I met Chad trading P2s in a long ass trade. And that relationship is, you know, I went to Illinois and um, him and I got a hotel room together. First time us ever meeting. Um, so I have, I have a lot of strong relationships more so based off of a like Facebook group, disc golf collecting and talking and trading than I do in my busy ass normal life. Cause I'm work back home with family. Like this is a, it's a new day and age and Facebook and these communities, especially like the community disc golf page. It's a small little thing hidden in a way in the, in the grass and an oasis and escape. Yeah, no oasis. Away. And it's <laughs> like a, we, we didn't like, we're old, we're old and scared of social media and, identify like these Facebook like niche groups like I didn't know what it was either and then I fell down the rabbit hole and then I became like this old man that got scared of all these other groups and I had to go co-found a smaller group to kind of huddle in and be <laughs> escape from it all like this is this stuff is all all too crazy <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the point oh go ahead. go ahead I was gonna say the point that you're making is number one disc golfers probably need some therapy uh, <laughs> we need to see a specialist about our addictive personalities and second, disc golfers like to build communities. And, and that's a big thing for me. Like, I've never met any of you personally, and I talk to at least two of you. Chase, I'd talk to you too. But I talk to Paige and Josh daily. Probably, you know, it wasn't uh, weird to say to my wife, hey, I might be going to Tulsa 
in June to play disc golf with a bunch of people I've never met. And she wasn't like, ooh, strangers on the internet. It was like, oh, you know, you talk about these guys all the time. It'd be cool to see them in person. So <laughs> it's, it's really cool to think about that I communicate more with these people I've never personally met, but I've built these relationships with people based on, you know, an eight inch flying plastic thing, which is pretty cool. No, I think that's awesome. And I had the same conversation of like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm driving to Vegas, but I'm going to stop in Santa Cruz and stay with a stranger, a random, <laughs> you know, random a man I met online, but met in real life. And he's going to invite me to his home and we're going to sit around his discs and I'm going to talk <laughs> discs all night. Like, I don't, I don't know, but I think that's how like things like used to be. There used to be like, like I said, like those that don't know, like I grew up rodeoing, I was professional rodeo trail. And those are sometimes just how you make things affordable is those relationships you built. And um, I don't know the difference of meeting a random guy at a rodeo and befriending him, And then, you know, staying at the crashing at his pad when you're traveling compared to like, you know, meeting these kind of just dis this different age, but I think you're right. I think disc golfers need a little bit of therapy, but I think that's what we're doing on the course, right? I tell people when I'm out there, it's not just me hucking plastic. There's amazing conversations when I play with people, like 18 holes, two hours, and nobody stops talking. Um, you work through frustrations and anger, my mental health and uh, ability to kind of self-regulate some of my emotions have been huge when i first started playing it was you hit a tree and it's like god fucking damn it that tree's fucking you know like but now you Whoa. hit a tree like you Whoa, know that's... it's calm and it's like oh man like huh, that happens like it shouldn't have but wait that that's stopped now <laughs> that stopped for me like i don't i don't wow. but that's because i've been hitting my gaps right so I, I i can hit a gap now so i don't cuss but like even like in tournaments like when i first started tournaments that pressure of like don't miss this five foot putt my hands are sweating and, and you probably you miss missed it, it because you overthought it exactly that's what happens now, don't overthink have yeah. fun and that carries over to life and that's that therapy that you like design in courses and it's it's as deep as you want to make it but it's also not surface level right like there's a lot of things that we're gaining from these courses so i feel like we're having therapy now like i'm talking through like i should lay down on a couch and just just let my heart out and well, I put my certifications and my background to work. <laughs> Wait a second. This is what this podcast has become. We're going to get a bill. We're going to Why do you put my glasses on? Tell me about your problems. No. What a large experiment that, that he's Let me doing. elicit this change talk. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, what, what about you, Chase? I mean, relationships. Like, I'm pretty sure each one on that wall has a relationship and a story behind it. Dude, yeah. I mean, it... So, I mean, I can't pick out every single one, but like the larger ones, yeah, I mean, they all have relationships. I mean, heck, uh, even before I bought them from those people, I had somewhat of a relationship just because it was like, once again, Josh, you mentioned Chad, um, you know, uh, Greg Baker Jr. there, you know, I know that he's a good friend of Chad's and uh, we had kind of talked through Chad and all that type of stuff. And he found out that I was trying to collect all of them. And one day he hit me up and he's like, Hey man, I got this guy who's wanting to sell a ghost stamp and a follow stamp. And do you want them? And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I do. You know? And, and so he made it happen, you know? Um, and then what other one was a big one? I mean, like, well, heck, 
the Matt Teal, um, that's probably the biggest one. So, you know, I got the, uh, the jelly bean and the trifoil and the last one that I needed for the collection was the Matt Teal. And I had been doing in search of posts. I had, uh, Brandon, uh, Thornton there. He, he was like, Hey man, like on my post, there was two guys that said they had them. Here's the picture. Maybe PM those guys. And I did one of them blocked me immediately. Um, <laughs> the other guy, it was one of those where, uh, his daughter had actually given him that disc, um, as a present from her trip to Berlin. Like she had bought it in Berlin, brought it to him, given it to him as a present. So he's like, I don't think I can sell that disc, you know? And I was like, you know what? I respect that. If you change your mind, I would be willing to compensate you greatly for it. You know, like maybe ask your daughter if she would like some money as well. You know, does she want to go to daughter's love worth? No. So, um, you know, but so that was my last one and I had, I had searched all over for it. I couldn't find it. I knew that, uh, Solly had had one, um, and he, I reached out to him. He's like, I just sold it, dude. Here's who I sold it to. And it was Christian Ness. <laughs> and Christian Ness is the guy that I was bidding against on the jelly bean. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, man. He's not going to let that go. And I was like, you know what? Let me make a deal with him. Um. So, you know, although I absolutely love this collection, uh, there's a point in time where you say, you know what, like when I set out to do this, when I finally made the decision to do it, I was like, I just want to see it through, right? Like once I have the full collection, I don't think that it's as important, right? Like I, I'm like, you know what, I got it. I did it. I'm done. Like, you said that what you you are you did what you set out to do right and you collected exactly. them all. Exactly, I have achieved my goal. You got your Pokedex, right? Exactly. Okay. And after that, it's like, okay, where do you go from there, right? Like, I I can't collect any more of these. I mean, I can, but there's Miss Prince. There's the no. <laughs> yeah, well, don't, I know. don't get his OCD started. <laughs> I think I saw one. It was a uh, blue. Yeah, actually, I believe I I actually wanted to get one from you. It was the. Uh, the one with the shield around the black iron samurai in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think there was also one from the uh, California to Colorado. Yep. Uh, I had yeah. a few. I, there, was a, there was a few that I reached out to you on. I, I have like, you know, eight or nine of the California to Colorado iron samurais. I mean, didn't Paige just say he likes getting plastic to people that want it? I mean, just saying. He just oh, said he I didn't know. want it, though. He wanted to <laughs> stay true. He wanted to be the OG stamp. He didn't want the rest of it. <laughs> But I'm look back on that conversation. So yes. <laughs> for those viewers that, you know, or those listeners on Spotify or Google or whatever, um, you do yourself a favor, go to YouTube. But if you're a little OCD like me, you turn that off because his discs are bugging the heck out of me. This whole thing. He has them um, like not color organized. He has greens <laughs> all over. He has blues all in a row, but the rest of the colors are fluctuating. Like so, for me, it's so driving me mad. <laughs> okay, so here's the problem, right? So like when I was setting this up, I was like, I don't even know how to do this because 
Like, if you look, there's a blue here, and there's five blues at the top. <laughs> so I'm like, it's rows of five. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do six. If I do a blue here, it looks weird, right? So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do red across from each other. Uh, both of those are metallic red. Uh, well, one's digital and one's metallic, right? And then I did the purple and the pink, which, you know, they're both matte. Um, and then I did like silver, 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 and white because it's as closest to silver. And then I did green, digital, and metallic green. And then I did yellow and gold. And then all of these down here are the matte colors. So there was a method to my madness. I see it now. It's a beautiful piece of art. But see, that's where, like, I would personally, I would be like, hey, look, your centerpiece is this trifoil. It's blue, white, purple. So if I go the three oh my next gosh, to, it's his collection. No. Get off his back. It's, it's, it's been bugging no, me. No, 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 but now no, that you explain no, no. it, it makes sense. Guys, I literally, like, <laughs> so first off, I got to say, David Perry is awesome. Dude, those wall okay. hangers, those are deep. Those are bangers, man. Okay, so hold on. So here's the deal. I bought the blue ones, right? I don't, I don't know. Um, hold on. Give me just a second. While he's doing that, let's advertise these amazing Perry wall hangers. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so yeah. So these ones, they're good. But I did reach out to him because before I hung up the IS-1s, I decided to hang up uh, you know, some of my other mid-ranges that were you know, in the bag or whatever, just to see, like IS-2, I had an IS-1 in the bag. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hang some discs up to see how this works, right? Because as I was putting them up, I'm like, ah, I don't know, they're, they're a little shaky, you know? And so I put some discs up. And now granted all these are used discs anyways, but I woke up the next morning and there was, you know, six discs on the ground. So I reach out to him. I'm like, Hey man, like, do you have a solution to this? And he's like, what are you hanging up? And I'm like, uh, mid ranges. And he's like, okay, I have a different one for mid ranges. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But I have a podcast on Friday and like, this is Monday. Right. And I'm like, I have a podcast on Friday and I have to have these hanging up before then. <laughs> so he's like, tell you what, I'll go ahead and 3d print those like right now and, you know, get them out to you. I'm like, well, look, man, like I, I don't expect you to, you know, cover all that and I'm going to need, you know, fast shipping. So I'll, I'll at least pay shipping. Right. So he makes these up and come to find out he woke it. He had something else running at the time. So he woke up at three forty-five in the morning to do my stuff, to ship it out that day. And so I was like, nah, man, I, I I'm going to, send you some extra like you did me a solid there anybody and i sent him the money and he only charged me for shipping sent him the money he's like dude you sent extra i'm like anybody who wakes up at 3 45 in the morning to do this for me deserves extra right and that's i mean There's like keep your artist like 
Yeah. When like, I work with like a lot of my um, like dyers and everything, like I always tip my artists. I always tip those people that put the extra effort and that's the same thing, right? <laughs> the, and the, the thing is, this is the first time I've ever like purchased anything from them. Like we don't have a long relationship, but the fact that this guy was willing to do that for me was, was awesome. So yeah. shout out to David Perry. David Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good shout out. Let's end on that one. But we got closing thoughts, guys. Well, I'm trying our best. I say this every week to keep us in that 45 minutes to an hour mark. We're kind of creeping on the hour mark now. We're going to be a little bit shy of that, thankfully. But let's transition into some of our closing thoughts. So, Josh, why don't you kick us off this time? Yeah, definitely. Um, we've done five is there six podcasts that's been aired on spotify and youtube we also did about a little 14, over 15 yeah a little over a dozen that was not aired it's kind of our test run season and one thing that you hear repeated on multiple of the podcasts is people who stress heavily to not throw a destroyer when you're first starting a disc golf <laughs> it's repeated and there's a reason it's repeated because we all fall for that trap when we're starting so if you know someone who's starting out disc golf pass that knowledge on to them because it'll save them so much time um, in their practicing and getting better at disc golf yeah that's it all right well chase uh so i mean closing thoughts for me is first off get into collecting the discs that you want to collect early don't wait for two years after they've released to to really <laughs> collect them because that's what gets expensive um so if you're going to collect something decide what you're going to collect immediately and go for it all right let's take that time machine back to 2015 and buy all the sexy birds we can oh my <laughs> no. yeah <laughs> Chase with the good advice. Cody? <laughs> um, I think we've kind of touched on it tonight in a lot of our podcasts, just with building those relationships. Like even something, a small gesture, like Chase was just talking about, like David Perry, someone who he has not had much interaction with, waking up at 345 to do this, go the extra mile. So um, find someone, find, even if it's giving away a disc, find that little thing that you can do that's going to start that relationship it doesn't have to be something major but you will be surprised at what it kind of blossoms into like if you would have said two years ago when i just started throwing that blizzard boss which by the way another kind of like josh was saying don't throw a boss and that would lead to having a weekly podcast that's on spotify or you know youtube I would be shocked, but it's that little relationship, that little seed that turned into something much bigger. So find someone, build a relationship, and be surprised at how cool it can be. Hey, Paige, real quick, before we you know finish your thoughts yeah, there. Absolutely. So Christian Ness, I, I mentioned that I was going to get the, uh, the Matt Teal from him. What I had to do was basically these two – after six months, those two are going to him along with that Matt Teal to complete his collection. And but he's sending it, you a, a child because probably <laughs> by that point, the market will be firstborn. Yeah. So it was one of those where I was like, look, man, I want the Matt Teal. What do I need to do to, 
to get it. He's like, I, I want the the jelly bean and the triple foil. So um, I was like, all right, let's work out a deal. We already negotiated the price on all that type of stuff, but guy was a cool dude. Uh, I was like, Hey man, like, what do I need to send you for the Matt Teal? He's like, don't worry about it. I trust you. Mm. I'm going to send that to you. And I, I'm, I'm trusting you to send that back. Right. Like, and, and with the, the other discs. So, um, you know, trust is a big thing too. And, and I know that that's kind of one of those iffy things right now with Jade Gate, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think it's one of those where you got to trust people, you know, sometimes you get burned, but don't stop trusting people. Well, that kind of transitions into my final thoughts. I mean, we heard a lot about collecting and what we didn't talk about is a lot of like too much of the value, right? Associated with it. I believe that when you're starting to collect, like obviously the important things are building relationships and, you know, what do they say? You catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. Um, but besides that, collect what you like. You know, two years ago, three years ago, all the amount of iron samurais that I passed on, I don't regret that now because at the time I wasn't liking them as much of it as of that disc. And as I became more and more embedded into this, like, collector scene, I realized, like, my own little niche of, like, just collecting what I like and whether that's valuable or not shouldn't be like the point of what you're collecting you know because these aren't investment these aren't stocks they're not guaranteed market will crash there might become a time where the disc that only flew like like, like we said nitric one only flies this way there might be a time when that dark rebel color glow comes out and it replaces that nice track one in the flight and it flies exactly the same you never know so don't look at it like as that but collect what you like and throw what you like and i think for that, I don't think you can be ever disappointed when any time that I ever tried to be like, I'm going to buy this to flip. That's when I was disappointed. Um, when I tried to like, you know, get things I didn't want to get, that's when I become disappointed. So for me, I challenge you guys to collect what you enjoy, whether there's price associated with it or not. Um, because eventually, you know, people will start to buy onto that. The more you love something, the more people love it. Crowned or not crowned Eagles. Uh, yeah. Well, crowned Eagles, uh, Crescent Falcons, or one of those Crescent Falcons, one of those discs that nobody really liked the flight of they beat in super quick. And then they went from $20 disc to $100 disc because one person loved them and loved them enough to buy them all out and try to collect all of the code. Yeah. Like, and then the hype started. So collect what you like. And the more you love something, I think people will start to follow and take notice of that. So with that guys, please like subscribe, follow. We're on YouTube, Spotify, we're on Google Music, um, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Instagram, right? We're just trying to grow ourselves a little bit, so every like counts, but also we're super approachable, so if you see us, give us a shout out. Um, if you want to be on our show, we're always looking for guests and always just want to talk about what's passionate to you. This week, we had an amazing guest in Chase who brought out his entire Iron Samurai collection, that to me is priceless because of all the stories behind it. So with that, guys, keep jamming it in the rough. Thanks for having me.